Welcome to the Misfit Stars podcast. I'm Shannon Curtis. And I'm Jamie Hill. Hi, listeners. Shannon and I are a married pair of working artists, and this podcast is our weekly date for getting on microphones and talking with one another and with our community about stuff that matters to us. We're so glad you're here. Thanks for being here. And hi, Shannon. Hi, honey. Hi. How are you feeling? <sighs> Man, uh, all kinds of complicated, swirling uh, negative emotions. Oh, man, I know. You know? Yeah. Um, so for context, we're, we're recording this about an hour and a half after uh, learning of that most recent school shooting in Texas. So the two things I wrote down, like uh, I didn't want just to be like, I'm sad and angry because of, like those are two of the three feelings that people who aren't <laughs> in touch with their feelings can identify. Right. So I wanted to get specific. I'm Dig feel- a little deeper. I'm feeling devastated and I'm, and I'm feeling livid. Mm. Livid is a particularly incandescent form of angry. Yeah. Uh, And that's how I'm feeling. Um, And I also feel devastated, just so sad. My my devastation takes two different forms. Mm. I'm devastated, of course, for the kids and for the families, Mm -hmm. you know. Of course. I'm also devastated that we live among so many people for whom this is just fine. This is a cost of doing business. Right. I mean, they probably wouldn't say it's fine on the face of it, but they're not doing anything about don't it. Don't give a shit what and people say. They care keep, about what they do. Keep voting for people who don't change policy yep. that would actually change this. Yep. So in actions, they don't give a shit. Yep. I get it. Yeah. They're actively supporting it. And they yeah. can say whatever they want about how they feel about it. But talk is cheap. Actions are what matter. Yeah. So. With you. So I, I just kind of feel devastated. Just uh, I keep having the same realization over and over and over again lately that there's just a shitload of people in this country for whom this is just fine. It's totally fine. Yeah. You know? It's especially fine when it's other people's kids. And mathematically speaking, it'll always be someone else's kids until it's your kid. Right. You know? In which case, I guess, tough shit. This is what you chose. But that's just so fucked up. It, it is. It is. <sighs> Lots of swears in the beginning of the podcast today. <laughs> there might be more. Might be more. Yeah. I have to slap an E on this one. I wonder if we get more listeners if we slapped an E on it. Remember back in the early 80s, like when Tipper Gore, bless her heart, remember when <laughs> Democrats, when we were kids, Democrats were leading culture wars and stuff against black people, you know? Oh, yeah. Labeling rap mm, records. I know. Because they're quote unquote explicit, really just, you know, because they're dangerous and made by black people, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but people quickly realized that if you had an explicit parental warning, explicit content label, sell more records. Maybe we should do that with our podcast. (laughs) We'll experiment with that. Okay, great. How are you feeling, Sugar? Um, Like you, uh, my my digging a little bit deeper beneath sad and angry. (laughs) (laughs) I just, I I felt, I feel heartbroken. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's for the the people directly involved and, you know, Mm -hmm. (sighs) <sighs> parents whose kids woke up this morning and ate cereal and tied their shoes and went off to school where they should be safe and learning and expanding their minds. Mm-hmm. <sighs> I just, my heart it just sinks yeah. when I think about it. Like, yeah. So I'm heartbroken and I'm enraged yep. and it's similar to what you were saying. And I think we're going to dig into this event a little bit later in the podcast. So I'll save it. Okay. Um, but that's that's that side of things. Um, outside of that event, I have other feelings, um, which today are, I, I feel kind of just quiet today mm-hmm. and contemplative. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't, doesn't have any relationship to this big news event of, of the day. Uh, it's just kind of more the space that I'm in. Um, and it's not bad. It's just, it just is. Um, yeah. So... 
So yeah, that's where I'm at. Right on. Well, thanks for sharing, sugar. Yeah. Uh, should we launch uh, directly into the good news machine? I think that that would be a smart idea. Let's do that. What you got? All right. I have two things. Uh, one of them comes from uh, one of our misfit stars. Wonderful. What is uh, it? So last week there were a bunch of um, elections uh, all over the in several states around the country. Yeah. One of which uh, was the state of Massachusetts, and they had some local elections. Mm-hmm. And our misfit star Jen uh, posted this in our social network, and it made my freaking day when I read her post. So I yeah. want to share it. Um, I'm just going to actually read from. Jen's post. Uh, she said, so proud of my friend, Elena. She decided to run for her town select board position against someone who was considered a sure thing since he has the support, both financially and through association, of the town's primary business owner. This guy, the business owner, uh-huh. uh, is a MAGA type who is known to be owned by the mob. Hello. Mm. <laughs> Sounds like a lot of the Republican Party. You see that more uh, than you would think in like... Uh, like like outer ring New, right. New England, Connecticut. There's like a lot of that. Okay. I used to go to a Fourth of July celebration a couple of years in a row uh, at the lakefront property, like a private lake, private property of a totally mobbed up guy who had a private fireworks show oh, and was like a friend of a dear friend. <laughs> Goodness. Okay. Really weird. All right. Well, anyway, we we digress. But the, this this business owner who supported the incumbent candidate um, has also been actively trying to buy up large areas of our towns, most likely to help with the laundering of his money. Mm-hmm. But Elena apparently stirred up quite the quiet resistance in town. Our misfit star, Jen, she said, I helped by standing out on the street holding campaign signs for her and waving at all the cars driving by. Our group was small, ranging from two to five people at a time throughout the day, like on election day, I guess, yeah, yeah. compared to the enormous group of people for the opposition. They had at least a dozen at any given time at the polling site, plus groups of similar size in two additional locations. But it totally paid off. Elena won the election. This helped refuel me so much tonight. While I know it will be an uphill battle leading into the midterms this fall, this seemingly impossible win has helped to energize me and my hope tank. And it totally energized my hope tank too. Like that was really cool to read that last week. Just on a number of levels. Like uh, we met Elena at one of our virtual house concerts a couple of years ago. And I remember talking to her and just really connecting with her. She was great. We, were, we not, became friends on Facebook. She, we're still yeah, buddies. Yeah. She's not She's not a person who has been a politician, right? No. She's just a regular person who felt uh, Got passionately enough, enough yeah. about getting involved that she put her name, she put herself on the line and ran for office and won. And mm. she's going to actually be able to make a real difference yeah. uh, in her community. And that's just, that, that just, I was, I was, I was inspired by Elena herself doing that. Um, And I was also inspired by the fact that um, the people in this town rallied to elect somebody uh, with values that actually could be good for the community and not just keep enriching mobster rich people who fuel this fascist rise that we're experiencing all over the country. Mm -hmm. Like this is a local, it's a small local action that... uh, that will have rippling effects. You know, then that's, it was so encouraging and great news. I love it. Yes, that's good news item number one. How, do you have any? You don't have any. Well, then I can tell you my second good news item, which is sort of silly. Okay. But it's, it just made me smile. Uh, Taco Bell's Mexican pizza is back. (laughs) 
What the fuck? We never go to Taco Bell. <laughs> Why do you, you care have, about this? Because I love the Mexican pizza and I haven't been to Taco Bell in a long time, but I used to have it all the time. And I remember when <laughs> like they in, took- Like 20 years ago? Listen, I remember when they took it away and they took it off the menu. I was like, oh, I haven't been to Taco Bell in a while, but I'm actually quite sad that it's not there. Because if I happen to go to Taco Bell, like I would like to get one. But I, when they took it off the menu, I was like- I'll never have a Mexican pizza again. Do we need to make a field trip for you? Yes. And I asked you the other day if you'd ever had one and you said no. And I'm like, no. what the? We have to get you a Mexican pizza. Okay. There's a Taco Bell just up the street is from there? our house. Yes. Oh, it's yeah. I know where it is. Yeah. On 6th Ave. Yeah. So uh, we do. We need to make a pilgrimage to Taco Bell and get a Mexican pizza. Uh, Dolly Parton says so. She's a fan as well. She was like, I love that she's like, for Mexican pizza at Taco Bell. I wonder why. She's like, she doesn't need the money. No, but maybe she really, uh, here, I'm just telling you they're that good. Like she like, probably did it for free. That's what I'm she, saying. She saw it came back. She's like, can I do an ad for y'all? You're confused as to why I'm bringing this up in our good news machine. Yeah, You're confused fair. as to why Dolly Parton is shilling for Mexican pizza. You have to have one. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. So that's that. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Jamie, would yes. you help us get less dumb? Class, anyone? Anyone? Yeah, I could do that. Okay. So I read this fascinating little uh, thread by the historian Timothy Snyder, and I just wanted to share it. Okay. It's about Putin's unreality. Uh-huh. And I thought it was really interesting context. Uh-huh. So uh, we talked about Timothy Snyder on this podcast before, but just briefly to, to recap, he is uh, an expert on authoritarian uh, regimes, specifically in Eastern Europe. Right. And so, you know, he's, he's the man of the hour lately. And here is what he had to say. I'm just going to read his little thread here. Okay. Super interesting. Okay. He says, It is senseless to shelter Putin from the sense that he is losing. He will figure that out for himself, and he will act to protect himself. Russians are not cornered. The Russian army is not cornered. It is an invading force. When, right. de- when defeated, units just retreat back across the border to Russia. Putin rules in a virtual reality where there is always an escape route. He cannot be cornered in Ukraine because Ukraine is a real place. It is hard for people in other societies to grasp that Putin is a dictator who controls his country's media. He rules by changing the subject. Huh. Putin changes the subject all the time. The last time Russia invaded Ukraine, its media changed the subject to Syria from one day to the next, and Russians went along. Mm. Uh, When Russia invaded Ukraine this February, the media quickly adjusted from saying that invasion was impossible to saying it was inevitable. That's right. Like in the lead up, all the Russian media was like, there's no way this is actually going to happen. You guys are overreacting. Yeah. Imagine it. Yeah. Totally. Mm -hmm. And like within a week, it was completely different. Right. And Russians went along. Right. He says, if defeated in reality, Putin will just declare victory on television (laughs) and Russians will believe him or pretend to. He does not need our help for that. It is senseless to create an off-ramp in the real world when all Putin needs is one in a virtual world that he completely controls. (laughs) Talking of off-ramps just gives Russian leaders something to laugh about in what are otherwise difficult times. Mm. To be sure, Putin might err and wait too long to declare victory in the virtual world. In that case, he loses power. We cannot save him from such a misjudgment, and it is misguided to try. Putin's power over the media will be complete until the moment when it ceases. There is no interval where our actions in the real world, when he says our, he just means the West, United mm. States, you know, where mm-hmm. our actions in the real world will make a difference. Either our off-ramps are unnecessary or they are irrelevant. Mm-hmm. 
It is grotesque to ask the Ukrainians to make decisions about the war for the comfort of Russian television producers who don't take direction from the real world anyway. Mm -hmm. Misunderstanding Russia through cliches of cornering and off-ramps will make the war last longer by distracting from the simple necessity of Russian defeat. Mm -hmm. Ukraine is a very different story. Zelensky, unlike Putin, is democratically elected, feels responsible for his people, and governs in a world where others matter. Ukraine has a press that the government does not direct. Zelensky cannot simply change the subject. He has to bring his people along on any major decision. Unlike Putin, Zelensky has to make a case to his people to end this war. Mm -hmm. He therefore does need help, both to win the war and in telling Ukrainians what comes next. Mm -hmm. Unlike Russian soldiers... Ukrainians have nowhere else to go. Mm -hmm. They cannot just go home. The war right. is being fought in their country. Right. They will return to their homes and rebuild. Ending the war means thinking more about the Ukrainian people and their future and worrying less about problems that Putin does not, in fact, have. Mm -hmm. Isn't that interesting? Yeah, what was interesting about it to you? Just the idea that all of the stuff that our government is talking the most about, you know, mm -hmm. we, need to, we need to create a diplomatic off-ramp. Like how many thousands of times in the last eight weeks have we heard about diplomatic off-ramps? Right. As though we can create them, as though we can control the outcome. Right. Well, it doesn't really matter. It's like, it's almost like Putin is playing a video game which he could just turn off at any time. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it, it, I mean, obviously it's not, it's not unreal. There are real people who have lost their lives and their homes and their families and, you know, like, yeah. horrible. So it's actual war, you know. But as far as his reputation is concerned, like you said, like Timothy Snyder said, he can just, he could at any point just stop and pull all of the soldiers home and say, we won. Also, he <laughs> could just at any point not pull the soldiers home, not stop, but direct his state media to say that it is over and we have won and just keep prosecuting the war anyway. Oh, right. That's it just more matter. to the point of what he's saying about the virtual reality. Oh. It's completely disconnected from the physical reality of what's going on. Right. Much, in, much as in 2014 when he invaded the Crimean Peninsula. It's so disgusting. He just shifted the attention via the media to an escalation he provoked in Syria. Right. And then the media was talking about Syria while he was just going in and taking over Crimea. Right. And that never ended. Right. Like right. that occupation continued and continues until present day. This stuff happens in our country. We have the, the right-wing media just ignores what they want to ignore and changes the subject whenever they want to change the subject. Yes. You know, like we've got this this shooting that happened today and there's going to be, a, there already have been outcries from leaders and people all over the country saying, when are we going to do something about the freaking guns? Yeah. You know, like this is unacceptable. Yeah. And, you know, the, the Fox News side of things is just going to be for a day they'll be like oh how sad thoughts and prayers to the family you know mm -hmm. and they will move on they will not report the outcry from the majority of Americans mm -hmm. who want to see something done about this yeah. they just change the subject because yeah. they are beholden to well, again we'll get into this a little bit later <laughs> but, but that's but it works the same way here yeah. like our, our, our people in our lives who we know who are Fox News watchers mm -hmm. do not know the reality of a, of, of a lot of situations in our country yeah. because the news they're watching just decides whatever virtual reality they want to, to inhabit. They just decide on that and go with it. It's the exact same as what Putin does in his country. Absolutely Scary. true. Scary. Yeah. So I thought it was relevant. 
thought yeah. it would be good to talk about. Hopefully now everyone feels slightly less tired. All right. And I'm under the impression that you have an item for our suggestion box today as well. I want to speak to your manager now, please. I do have a suggestion box item. And uh, this comes to us uh, via Heather. Heather Cox Richardson. Oh, I love Heather. We love Heather. Anyone listening to this who doesn't get Heather's free Substack, you should just go subscribe. <sighs> she is a historian, and she just places the news of the day in historical context, and it's really, really helpful. She writes most days of the week, like six days of the week, and yeah. you get this wonderful, just, it's it's oftentimes current events tied to an historical perspective, and it has honestly been the single most helpful newsletter that I have read over the last year oh, yeah. in helping me make sense of what's going on in our country and in the world. Yep. Like, I 100% recommend. Heather Cox Richardson. Go find it. Sign up. So I'm going just to read a little bit from uh, something that she sent out last week. Uh, and it's on the topic of the First Amendment being used primarily these days to protect powerful people. <laughs> okay. Um, and so the context is, uh, I'll start reading from, from her newsletter. Okay. okay. She says, while the Supreme Court has not yet handed down the Dobbs v. Jackson women's health decision that is expected to overturn Roe v. Wade, it did today, and this is about a week ago, it did today hand down Federal Election Commission v. Cruz, and that's as in Ted Cruz, mm -hmm. in which by a vote of six to three, uh, and I should note along party lines, uh, it struck down a limit on how much of their own money a political candidate could recoup after an election, mm -hmm. right? And so what this means is if you are a rich political candidate and you loan your own campaign money, right? what it means is that you can, after you've been elected... Or not. Or not, but particularly right. after you've been elected, right. you can still solicit donations to pay off the debt to pay your to pay yourself back for the money you've loaned the campaign. Uh, didn't it used to be that there was a limit to the amount you could pay yourself back? Yep. Right. Uh, before this decision, the law capped reimbursement at two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Right. Which so again, is this still is still a ton of money. This is just for rich people. It's for the kind of person who would have a quarter of a million dollars in cash of their own money to lend their own political campaign. Right. Right. Uh, and the court struck down that limit on the grounds that the limit on reimbursements violated the First Amendment right to free speech. So this is sort of <sighs> of a piece with a continuation of the line of thinking first established in Citizens United, the idea being that corporations are people and that money is money, money is speech. speech. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, joined by Justices Stephen Breyer and Sonia Sotomayor, Justice Elena Kagan wrote the dissent. Con contributions after an election to repay a loan are not about free speech to influence an election, she said. Because it's really important to note that, like, that right. was what the Supreme Court, that was what the conservative justices said. Like, right. it's, money is speech, and it's important that people's speech be allowed to influence elections. Right. But this is after the election has happened. Right. That you are soliciting these donations right. now to reimburse yourself. Right. And as she said, and I agree with this, of course, um, they enrich uh, these donations after an election, enrich the candidate personally at a time when he can return the favor. They're called bribes. Yes, by a vote, a contract, an appointment, whatever. Post-election contributions, and there's a quote from her, pose a special danger of corruption. Because of course, like you so succinctly said, they're bribes. Yes. Yeah, totally. Because why the hell else would you give money to someone who's already been elected? Right. It's not to help them get elected, so what's it for? Yeah. <sighs> So uh, there is this person whose name is Daniel uh, Weiner. He works at the Brennan Center for Justice. Uh -huh. um, he noted that few candidates 
lender campaigns more than a quarter of a million dollars. So the effects of the decision will be limited. But this case builds on the redefinition of our political world launched by the 2010 Citizens United decision in which the Supreme Court argued that seeking influence over politicians was a positive good. As uh, <laughs> Justice Roberts wrote at the time, influence and access, quote, embody a central feature of democracy that constituents support candidates who share their beliefs and interests and candidates who are elected can be expected to be responsive to those concerns. Uh, you know, and <laughs> the candidates can be expected to be responsive to the concerns of those who have a boatload of money to give them. <laughs> yeah, it's and really only them. It's interesting because you and I always give money in elections. <laughs> but yet, I, I note personally a strange lack of responsiveness. <laughs> Totally. So I'm not sure how to square that. Surely it's me. Uh, you're um, right. So, uh, so yeah, that's that's kind of the thing. Um, and so, and she finishes by saying, while the court is protecting the access of wealthy donors to the democratic system, it has shown no interest in protecting an individual's right to vote. Right. Uh, uh, and this guy Weiner characterizes FEC v. Cruz as, and this is just a quote, Another step in an extraordinary transformation wherein First Amendment doctrines traditionally used to protect dissenting and marginalized voices now primarily get deployed to defend the already powerful. Yep. Right? And you can kind of see this trickling into other parts of legal decisions in our society. They're kind of happening mm -hmm. all around us right now. Like individuals' rights to, like, for example, protest. Like, for example, protest in front of uh, Supreme Court justices' homes. There is talk of limiting those rights, mm -hmm. right? And on the conservative right, in the, in, in the conservative, like, uh, jurisprudential framework, it's a very popular idea over this last couple of weeks that we should consider criminalizing protest of certain types. Well, see, those protesters, all they really need to do is just give a million dollars to candidates and then maybe they can have their voices heard. Interesting. Interesting. <laughs> Boy, you know, all I gotta do is get a million dollars. All you gotta do. All you gotta do. So what's your suggestion? What's your, what's your request for the suggestion box? <sighs> My request for the suggestion <laughs> box is that we return to a time where the First Amendment is used for what it was designed to be used for. And that's not to protect powerful people. It's to protect small people against the powerful. Yes. That's the explicit reason that the First Amendment was made in the first place. Anyone who has a glancing familiarity with history understands at a very simple, we learned this in fifth grade level, yep. why the First Amendment exists. And the contortions that these conservative justices are tying themselves into to figure out ways to justify the idea that the First Amendment is supposed to be to protect the powerful against small people and not the other way around, mm -hmm. it's mind-boggling. But my suggestion is, what if we got back to the original <laughs> meaning of what the First Amendment was for. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. No, honestly, as you're talking about this, I, I'm, I'm linking back to your story about Putin. Yeah. And like, honestly, it is, the, the, the fact of the matter is that reality is whatever the powerful say it is. Yes. They just true. make up whatever they want and that's reality. In this case, the Supreme Court justices who are completely captured by this extreme right-wing, corporatist, fascist movement that's been happening in our country for the last number of decades and are executing the will of that movement 
really fast right now. Yeah. Like very rapidly. And it's important to say also have been like steeped in that movement and reared and brought up by that movement since they were in college. Yeah, totally. These are all Federalist Society judges. Right, right, Justices. Right. But what I'm saying is that that they are they are deciding, like, like you said, the First Amendment was not intended to protect the already powerful. It was written as the first amendment to the Constitution to protect regular folks to be able to participate via their speech. Like, like and specifically, to be able to protest their government without being thrown in jail or punished for doing so. Right, right, right. It was to exercise the voice of the people and to protect the voice of the smallest and least powerful among us and against the most powerful. That might be historically accurate and what what most uh, honest people would say is the truth about the First Amendment. But here we have a situation in which the powerful, in this case, the Supreme Court of the United States, uh, who represent the most powerful in our country, the most wealthy, the people who want to uh, entrench their power forever against the will of the majority, the rest of us, mm -hmm. they're just deciding that they need for reality to be something different. So they're just deciding that that they're just changing the rules. They're, they're just, just making stuff up and calling it constitutional exactly, law. Exactly, exactly. It's wild. It is wild. So my, my request, my suggestion <laughs> is that maybe don't do that. Maybe don't do that. Maybe don't do that. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. Yeah. Well, well, shall we talk about what feels important this week? Please hold for a very important message. Yep. Yeah, you know, I actually... Woke up this morning with nothing on my list mm -hmm. for this. And then the headline came through about the school shooting in Texas. And at this point, uh, while we're recording this on Tuesday afternoon, um, there's still very little known about the the incident. That's such a small, insufficient word for yeah. this. Um, but that there were the, the, what I what we do know at this point is that 14 children are dead. Yeah. And one teacher is dead, and there were a bunch of more injuries as well. Mm -hmm. And the shooter also is dead. The shooter was an 18-year-old boy. Man, what do you say? 18-year-old. He was an 18-year-old kid. Yeah. Um, and he, 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 I think what, what I've read is that he had a, a handgun. Mm -hmm. um, maybe and also Maybe also had a rifle that he was carrying with him. Um, and he's also dead. Did I mention that? Yep. The police... They think the police might have killed him. Um, so it just it feels important to bring it up to maybe hash through some thoughts and initial feelings. Um, you yeah. know, obviously, I feel just like a pit in my gut sure. for the families who lost their kids today. Mm -hmm. Children, elementary school children. God, it shouldn't it, be that it's more devastating the younger the victims, but it is. Yeah, I mean, honestly, uh, I'm, 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 I'm like transported back to however many years it was. Has it been like close to 10 years since Sandy Hook? Like it's been... I don't recall, but years. yeah, it's, I think so. It was 2014 or something. 2012, somewhere around there, yeah. Yeah, um, just what, what are we doing? What are we doing yeah. that we have allowed our society to be organized in such a way that this is even possible. Like, what are we doing? I saw statistics, uh, someone posting about the number and amount of, uh, of gun deaths per year for the most recent year available mm -hmm. in just 
like not eight countries or so. And, mm-hmm. and so Japan had nine. <laughs> the United Kingdom had 107. Australia this had... This is gun deaths total? Gun deaths total for the most last most recent available year. Holy cow. So Japan had nine. UK had 107. Australia had 229. Spain had 282. Canada creeping up there, 695. Uh, India had 3,655. That's a lot. Also, it's a huge country. Yeah. Uh, the United States had 39,682. That's just, oh my God. So like 11 times as many as as the next what highest country. are we doing? Yeah. And also, that country has way more people than our country. Right. Right. You know, so yeah. if you adjust for population. It's just an outstanding, it's, like an outrageous. It's off the charts. Yeah. Yeah. My initial thoughts yeah. as I was kind of like cycling through all of this were, was, you know, and I like, I, we obviously, we obviously need gun laws <laughs> that would address this, you yeah. know, Um just the, common sense gun laws. Yeah. The fact of the matter is that, and, and, I, and my thought is, okay, well, what can we do? You know, obviously we need to vote for politicians who, you know, who also want those, you know, gun laws in place to help. Because there's some actual, there's some like fairly simple things that the vast majority of Americans support that we that, that our Congress could do tomorrow. Oh, yeah, absolutely. To like address this. like Universal background checks, uh, re- licensing, license- uh, registration. Mm-hmm. Hell, let's put some education in there. You got you to gotta take driver's ed before you can get your license. Yeah. Let's do gun ed before you get your gun license. Exactly. And also you got to get a gun license. Red flag laws, yeah. which, you know, uh, highlight people who have a history of violence or danger, might be a danger to themselves or others. Um, there, there's lots of, there's lot. also, we don't need, we don't need assault rifles and nobody needs assault rifles no, anywhere. No, um, unless but, you need to shred a deer. <laughs> right. Um, but this kid didn't use an assault rifle, right? He used a handgun today. Yeah. Um, did you know that last year in the year 2021, the state of Texas passed a law lowering the age, the legal age that somebody can purchase and carry a handgun to the age of 18. Mm. And this kid is 18. I read a statistic um, from Shannon Watts, who was the founder of Moms Demand Action, right. kind of like the grassroots yeah. uh, 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 support of every town for gun safety, yeah. um, which was an organization started after Sandy Hook. Um, but she tweeted out a stat today uh, that um, 18 to 20-year-olds... Mm-hmm. They make up 4% of the population of the United States, and they are responsible for 18% of gun deaths. But also keep in mind that virtually every single shooter in any situation is a male. So really, it's like 2% of the population accounting for 18% of gun deaths. That's a good point, too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, like, out of all the mass shootings in the last year, all but one were a male. Right. All but one. Right. And there were like 200 something. Right. So it's like like a quarter, like a, a third of a percentage. Right. And my point women. in bringing that up is like, those are the facts. And yet we have the state legislature in Texas and the governor signing a law saying, oh, actually, let's make it easier for 18 to 20 year olds to carry handguns. Just a specific slice of people who do the most damage per capita. Exactly. Yeah. Like we have elected politicians who are doing the opposite of what the majority of America. So like, as I'm thinking about it, we just need to put pressure on our politicians to you know, enact these laws. And it's like, it's a freaking uphill battle. Like we, we, th- this, it is, and it's, 
excuse me, it is tied to all the same stuff that we've been talking about forever on this podcast about the, 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 the rise of fascism in this country and the fact that there is a group of people who are doing all that they can to entrench minority rule over the rest of us. Yeah. It's the same thing. Like the NRA, it, the NRA, first of all, uh, launders political contributions from Russia mm-hmm. to Republican politicians in, here in the United States. Yep. Like, Russia would really like for there to be blood in our streets and continued chaos with a shooting one week at a grocery store that kills grandmothers and a shooting the next week at an elementary school that kills 10-year-olds. Like, Russia loves to see our country in this state of disarray because it weakens us, clearly. Um, The Republican Party is completely captured by the NRA, does not care one lick about doing anything about this. They're all thoughts and prayers. You know, I've seen yeah. already tweets from like Mitch McConnell, you know, in the mm-hmm. Senate and, and Ted Cruz, who's the senator of Texas, yep. you know, with their like, just these like- Ted you know, Cruz's quote was, inevitably when there's a murderer of this kind, you see politicians try to politicize it. You see Democrats and a lot of folks in the media whose immediate solution <laughs> is to try to restrict the constitutional rights of law-abiding citizens. I just, I take, I take issue with his tweet from the word inevitably. Yeah. Gun deaths are not inevitable. No. We have chosen to say it is okay. Yeah. We have chosen leaders who have chosen to say that, that elementary school children being slaughtered in their classroom is a perfectly fine price to pay for gun freedom. And I'll say this, uh, and I've said it, elsewhere on the internet already today, but people who vote for Republican politicians want mass shootings to happen. Tell I me know, more. I know that that sounds like an extreme thing to say, but say here's, more. The, here's the thing. It's no mystery at this point what side who which politicians are on. Right. Republican politicians are on the NRA's side, the side that says that we absolutely can't have any kind of gun legislation whatsoever, Not, including all the stuff that's incredibly popular uh, with everybody, including Republicans right, in America. Right. If you look at things like uh, like universal background checks, yeah. that's got something like 70-something percent. Like, even with Republicans, everyone's wow. like, yeah, let's do that. Wow. There's a whole bunch of this stuff, you know? Like, smaller magazines, overwhelmingly popular. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't need to be able to put, like, you know, how many, 50 bullets in a magazine or whatever the hell, you know? Right, right. There's, the only reason for that is mowing down humans. That's it. That's the only reason. Right. That's the only reason you need something that can spray out 50 bullets. Right. You know? Yeah. Uh, and there's other things like that too. And they're overwhelmingly popular. And we have known at this point for decades, these mass shootings have been happening for decades. There's always been some here and there, but like the the era of really big ones, it feels like started with Columbine, which is what right about 20 years ago, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and over the last 20 years, we've been having these same arguments as society over and over and over and over and over, multiple times a year, because there's so many huge mass shootings every year. And every time the people on the Democratic side are like, we've got to do these common sense legislations that like would mm-hmm. really help minimize the number of these incidents and minimize the damage each of these incidents can cause when mm-hmm. they do happen, mm-hmm. you know? Because like, if you go into it, like this kid managed to kill, you know, 14 people with 15. a, 15 people, uh, maybe with a handgun, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, don't know what size magazine it had, but I mean, 15 bullets in a handgun is, I think, relatively normal, you know? Kind of fits in the grip. Um, but, you know, you look at, like, a lot of the other mass shootings, 
And they happen, you know, with the kind of guns that if we were, like, if we were to restrict outlaw assault-style weapons again, mm-hmm. there was an assault weapons ban that President Clinton signed. Right. But it was designed, like, in the legislation, it was designed to sunset after 10 years. And so, of course... Why? Because they're cowards, because that was a compromise. That they, they felt like they had to reach across the aisle, because that's what Democrats do. Republicans have always been really good at the raw exercise of power. And what Democrats' superpower is, is unnecessarily conce- making concessions to Republican politicians. Right. I mean, it is, it's important to, to note also uh, that there are some Democrats who are horrible on gun, on gun policy. Yeah. For example, just a handful of miles... Uh, east of where this shooting happened yeah. today, you hit San Antonio, Texas, where yeah. Henry Queller, who is a Democrat, is in a primary uh, runoff against Jessica Cisneros. We'll find out this evening probably who won that yeah. runoff. And yeah. I hope Jessica wins for a number of reasons, but one of which related to this particular issue is that Henry Queller has an A-plus rating from the NRA. Yeah, screw he's him. he's a Democrat. Yeah, we've so, got we to purge. Yeah, that. that's, absolutely. That's totally wrong. So when I say that people who vote for Republicans want mass shootings to happen, here's the thing. Like, you might vote Republican consistently. And then also in your mind, you might be telling yourself, no, I don't support this. I don't support school shootings. Who would? Who would? Who wants babies killed? You do. If you're voting for the people that consistently for decades and decades and decades mm-hmm. have made this possible to happen, mm-hmm. then that's what you're supporting. And that's what you want. This is no longer a mystery. No. This is no longer a disconnected thing. Oh, why does this keep happening? We know why it happens. It yep. happens because Republican politicians block legislation that would not stop it from happening, but greatly minimize it happening. Mm-hmm. If you vote for Republicans, this is a thing that you want to happen. You know what your choices are. There are two very clear alternatives, and there's no other alternatives. Mm-hmm. It's not confusing. It's not like there's 50 different options, and you just, by mistake, pick the wrong one. There's two options. It's not complex. No, it's not complex. It's a binary, either or, one or the other, one or zero kind of thing, and you are picking the wrong side. You're making an affirmative, active choice, mm-hmm. which means that this is a thing that you have contemplated and you want to happen. Mm-hmm. Period. Word. Yeah. I'm with you. I'm with you. Oh my gosh, it's so maddening. It's maddening. I, it's maddening. I mean, I, I co, I, my, my go-to is what do we do about it, right? And I, this is a situation that feels just completely helpless. And but my honestly, my what do we do about it is the same as my what do we do has been for so many things the last number of months, years, mm-hmm. whatever. Uh, it's all. This is all linked to the same stuff, right? This is all. You know, um, to 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 go to a, a a tweet that I shared on the podcast a number a number of maybe maybe a couple months ago mm-hmm. um, that's just has been on my mind ever since then. It, it was somebody retweeted it into my timeline. It was a teacher in Portland, Oregon, mm-hmm. uh, who had um, I'm just finding it right here because I had written it down for myself for, for easy remembering. That her name is Ursula Wolf Roca. Uh, She said, it can be overwhelming to witness slash experience slash take in all the injustices of the moment. Mm -hmm. The good news is that they're all connected. So if your little corner of work involves pulling at one of the threads, you're helping to unravel the whole damn cloth. Let's keep working our corners. Solidarity. That I just, I go back to that because it is all connected. You know, Elena's uh, local election that she ran mm-hmm. connected. <laughs> is connected. Yeah. The donation that you make today to uh, every town for gun safety is connected. Mm-hmm. The work that you're doing to help women 
and people with uteruses uh, access abortion care mm-hmm. is connected. Yep. The work that that we're going to do when as the midterm elections get closer and we're going to be uh, calling voters in Wisconsin to mm-hmm. help them get signed up for voter protection so that the election can go uh, smoothly in Wisconsin because there's an important Senate race there is connected. Mm-hmm. Uh, the work that you do in your local community to support um, whatever cause is important to you where you see injustice next next door to you mm-hmm. that you're involved in, it's connected. Yeah. All of it is connected and it's going to require a massive effort on every single one of us to pull on whatever thread is in front of us. Yeah. But that's what we're up against. This mass shootings at schools and grocery stores and places of worship and wherever else they happen will continue to be a reality yeah. in this country. Yeah. All of the time, just like they have been until we collectively stand up and say, we are not going to be ruled by a fascist minority of people desperate to cling to their power and their wealth like they have been. It will will continue to happen. This will continue to happen. And on a personal level, in your own communities, another thing that you can do is name, shame, and isolate, right? Tell me more. What I mean by that is take matters into your own hands. Like anyone who is voting for Republicans is voting on the wrong, they're supporting and enabling all of the bad stuff that Shannon just enumerated, Mm -hmm. which means that if you know people in your own life who vote Republican, name them, shame them, and isolate them. Stop being their friend. Mm -hmm. Don't give them a social structure. Don't give them pleasure. Don't give them joy. Don't give them comfort. Make them feel like shit. Make them feel isolated. This sounds harsh as hell, but you know what? People need to experience consequences for antisocial behavior. And when we are like, you shouldn't be doing that, but come on over to the barbecue. What we're telling them is it's basically okay the way that you're acting and what you're supporting. People like this should have no comfort. They should have no quarter. They should have no sense of pleasure or joy in their lives. (laughs) They shouldn't feel safe in their own homes. Seriously. It's fucked up to feel like I have to say this, but I feel it's like it's true. Yeah, I totally feel you. I totally feel you. And can I just like probe a little bit here? Because Mm -hmm. like the reality of that, of what you're saying is that you'd be cutting off your parents. Yeah. So like, like, uh, how do you, how do you square that? How do you like, uh, uh, this is an un... Yeah, it's a great question. We didn't take notes on this, guys. We're just like riffing in real time. It's easy to sound like a revolutionary until like it's your own family, right? Right. Yeah, it's, it's true. Like how, can we explore that a little? Do you want to? Do you feel like it? Like I don't I, know what the uh, there's a dissonance there that I don't know how to resolve. Which I think is probably you know? true for a ton of people. Yeah. Most people. I mean that said, there's a difference between like the vast majority of friends each of us has in our social lives and our family. Perhaps it's necessary to carve out exceptions for family because like yes, I understand you need to stay in touch with your family and not everyone can cut their family out, you know? And I get that. But that said, you know, I don't really maintain friendships in any significant way these days with anyone who votes Republican. And that has been kind of a conscious decision. Like, I know people like that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some years ago, I think there was part of me that was like, you know what, How I think that how these people think is abhorrent, but I I still think we can reach them. You know, mm, right? These, uh, I guess, I guess what I'm saying here, writ large, is that my impulse to try to reach, to try to find a middle ground, I just, I'm seeing that just for the absolute farce that it is, and I see it as a farce when our politicians do it, which is what has made me think about it so much lately. Mm. You know, Chris Murphy, he's a senator from Connecticut, whom I generally respect on a lot of things, and who has been a voice for good. 
He was quoted specifically on gun issues. He was quoted like a couple of hours ago to a reporter as just saying, "I I just have to believe that there's got to be ten Republicans who will come over to our side on this, who just see what the right thing is." Like, man, no, you know that that's not true. There's not a single thing in this country right now that ten Republicans would be willing to cross the aisle for because they know that in MAGA America. Like, that's just a death sentence. You wouldn't get reelected, and that's all they care about is their own reelection, mm-hmm. right? Not doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. But this impulse that Democrats have to, let's put aside our differences, let's reach across the aisle, let's find common ground. <sighs> Fuck that. Yeah. Let's I, not do that. No. Let's not find common ground. Let's isolate as much as we can. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, you're right. Like, when it comes to one's family, maybe that's an exception that people have to make. I mean, the accommodation that you and I have made, at least with my parents, and, I, and you're with your mom also, is we just don't talk about it. Well, that's how we maintain relationship. Yep. But but what you're saying is, if people are condoning and voting for and supporting the kind of people in office who are directly enabling 14 kids getting shot in their classroom today. Yeah. That they need to be isolated for that antisocial point of view. Yeah. That's, that, I mean, I, I think it, we need to sit with this a little bit, I think yeah. is, is what I'm saying. Like, the, I understand the impulse to shame and isolate. I also have done enough reading of, you know, Brene Brown's work <laughs> in that shaming doesn't ever really produce any positive outcome Fine. either. So I don't know. I don't know. And I'm not saying I know what the solution is, but just I, isolating what I'm them. Saying, you know what I mean? What I'm saying is I understand that impulse and I understand why yeah. you would suggest that. And to clarify, when I say shame, I think what I mean is like cut people off, but let them know why you're cutting them off. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm. Like, let them know, like, I can't be your friend because you hold antisocial views. Right. If you change your views and if I see evidence that you are acting in a different way and no longer supporting these people who are causing mm-hmm. this to happen, we could have a chance again in the future at a friendship. That's sort of like a living amends, basically. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, if you were able to make right. a living amends through a change in your actions, I would be willing, like, the door's still open, right. but... Not right now. Yeah, it's funny. For me, like, I, I don't have friendships with people who vote Republican either. Yeah. Um, but for me, it's less of a, it's, it's, I think, as I'm thinking about it and I'm hearing you talk about it, it feels like it's less of a, like, a principled stand and more of a, I just don't trust you yeah. to be human to me. Yeah. If you aren't able to see humanity for what it is in such a way that, 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 that allows you to vote for the kinds of policies and the kinds of people that you vote for. Like, I don't trust you. Yeah. And so, like, on a personal level, I just, I, I you know, I have a wall. I have a, I have a wall up yeah. around, you know, myself to protect myself around people who I, I just don't trust the way that they see the world uh, and, and, and how they have decided to act in the world. Mm-hmm. And, it, and, you know, so, yeah. This is tough stuff. This is really tough stuff. It is tough stuff. But it really, like, I don't know. It just feels like today, today feels like not a breaking point exactly, but Mm. something like one, you know? Just like, I just feel like something is starting to shift inside me where it's just like, wait a minute. These people are are sociopaths. Mm. And it's not just... It's so easy to like just push it off onto the politicians. Like, oh, it's the politicians. Like, if if there weren't if if there weren't Trump, this would be happening. Oh yeah, who'd you, you know? vote for? Uh, or if there, okay, well, set aside Trump. But if there weren't Mitch McConnell, this wouldn't be happening. You know. But really, these people are in power because our friends and neighbors have put them in power. Mm-hmm. 
And that's it's as simple as that. And they have, and these people who are in power have been and continue to use their power to increase their power and decrease the power of the majority of us who want to see things differently. Right. On a whole host of range of uh, a whole range of, of issues. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah. I'm definitely just starting to feel like we need to make this schism explicit. Yeah. You know? Well, and we need to talk about it. It feels like we need to talk well, about it a whole lot more as a society. You know, uh, not just you and me, but like, uh, like everybody. Mm-hmm. Like this should be a national conversation. You know, I think about like um, when when we when I studied history, you know, and studied like World War II history and not like Nazi Germany, right? And like the question always comes up, you know, like when you, when as a kid when I read Anne Frank's diary, you yeah. know. The question always comes up, what would I have done if mm-hmm. I were there? If I if I were there in this time, which looking back on it now, decades later, there was a very, it's very well delineated what was right and what was wrong, yeah. right? And like very well, like, and, and in that time, if you lived in Nazi Germany, uh, if you chose the side of right and acted on that, on that belief, mm-hmm. acted on that conviction, you were literally putting your own life and the life of your family in danger. Yeah. Right? Like, if you chose the side of right and you acted to help people who were being unjustly uh, uh, captured and and interned and killed, Mm -hmm. you put yourself on the line to also be captured and turned and killed. Right. Right? Like, and so, like, it's very clear, right? Like, it's a very clear like red line, yeah. right versus wrong. And you think, and I, of course my like middle school brain when I read Diary of Anne Frank was like, what would I have done? What would I, of course I would have wanted to help. Of course I would have, you know, like, like it's very clear. Um, I believe that we're living in a time right now mm-hmm. where that red line is becoming very defined. Yeah. Like it, it, it's here. I mean, there was a freaking white supremacist who killed a bunch of people in a grocery store last week. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't need uh, state-sponsored, you know, internment camps and, and, and death chambers when you've got people indoctrinated by this ideology just going out to black neighborhoods and killing whoever they want. You know what I mean? Like, right. same, same result. Mm-hmm. <laughs> people dying mm-hmm. for an ideology that is rooted in... I, I, I hate using the word hate. It's not rooted in hate. It's rooted in power. Mm-hmm. That's what this is about. And 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 the gun debate is rooted in power also. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, we have no idea what the this shooter in Texas, what his motives were. It doesn't matter. His access, his access to guns to be able to carry this out is because of policy put in place by people who are motivated by power. It's yeah. the same, and it's all again, same fabric. Yeah. Same fabric, all connected. And I you know, I, I believe that we are living in a time when, you know, a middle schooler 80 years from now is going to read stories about what's happening right now and ask herself, what would I have done? Yeah, right. So ask yourself the question. I'm asking myself the question all the time. What am I doing? What side am I on? What side am I actually acting on? Yeah. Right? Like, this is this is the time. And that sounds like, it sounds like I'm like living in a, an alternate timeline. I don't feel like this should be reality. Like yeah. it feels unreal to be saying that we are living in that an extreme of a time, but we are. Yeah. I mean, look. 
Look at what we're talking about. We're talking about 14 kids dead today. And last week, we're talking about 10 people grocery shopping dead. Yeah. Like, it's here. Like, there's not even time to recover from one trauma these days. No, it's here. Before the next one comes. It's wild. Yeah. And yeah, it's it's here. You're right. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah. We're all going to have to make some tough decisions going forward. You know? Mm-hmm. It's weird. Like, as you're talking, I'm sitting here thinking, like, the alt, like, Next time we go on tour, I would be 100% supportive of putting in invitations. Republicans not welcome. <laughs> Straight up. Don't come to our fucking show. Fascists you know what? not welcome. Don't, you don't get to have good things if you act like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I have enough self-esteem to think that like what we bring to people is good. It's a, it's a good thing. Mm-hmm. It's a good nurturing thing. And you know what? If, if you support fascists, you shouldn't get good things. You should get bad yeah. things. <laughs> you know? Like, go listen to Toby Keith. Fuck off. <laughs> Is Toby Keith a fascist? I don't know. <laughs> you know, he's probably like the one good country yeah, guy. You know what I mean? Is. I don't know. We shouldn't, yeah. we shouldn't like, uh, uh, what's the word? Uh, slander. Lump. Slander Lump. Toby Keith. Yeah, Toby Keith is surely a wonderful, <laughs> Who knows? wonderful human being. I don't being. know. Yeah, yeah there's, there's no bow today, folks. There's nothing to tie on top of this and say, look what we did. We summed it all up and we made it better because we didn't. But just know that, you know, I, I, I imagine that people who are listening to this right now are having a lot of difficult uh, thoughts wrestling with all of this. And just, you know, we are too. And we happen to hash out a few of them on microphones today. So I hope that that was helpful. And yeah. if it wasn't, I'm sorry. <laughs> we're, we're doing our best. <laughs> yeah. Did you have anything else um, that you wanted to talk about in terms of this is important this week? Or <sighs> Yeah, I had two things. One of them I can save. It's not, not, it's not super time sensitive. Okay. I just want to note that uh, the Fifth Circuit uh, Court of Appeals, and it's, it's, this was just last week, although it feels like it was like a month and a half ago. Everything's moving so fast right now. But the, uh, there, was, there was big news today from the, uh, the United States Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit. They ruled that Congress un- unconstitutionally delegated legislative power to the SEC by failing to provide an intelligible principle by which the SEC would exercise its delegated power uh, in violation of Article One of the Constitution, which vests all legislative power in Congress, right? Okay. And this sounds really, really wonky, yes. but here's the thing. So Article 1 of the Constitution has vested vested all legislative power in Congress. Um, After the great crash of 1929, Congress created the Securities and Exchange Commission. It was to regulate Wall Street, right? So that Wall Street couldn't do all this kinds of... Shady stuff that that crashed the economy. Yeah, that's exactly it. And so in 1934, five years after the great crash of 1929, Congress created the SEC. uh, And the SEC is supposed to enforce the law against manipulating financial markets. Right. All the same kind of stuff that's happening right now, actually. You know, all the like hedge funds and collateralization of debts and all this weird stuff. Um, And basically, uh, in the New Deal era, uh, like President Roosevelt, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, set out to to regulate the economy to like recover from the Great Depression. And put some rules in place so it didn't happen again. That's it. And and under uh, Roosevelt's leadership, Congress uh, established a bunch of new agencies to regulate a whole bunch of stuff. Right. Uh, from like banking to uh, agricultural production right. to like the Environmental Protection Agency and like all this stuff, right? right? To basically like help 
you know, the reason they the reason that they did it that way is like theoretically Congress should be the one that does all the regulating, but in practice, Congress is not made up of subject matter experts. No, I mean, just look at how poorly Congress has been tr dealing with like regulating the internet. It's because everyone in Congress is fucking seventy years old and fundamentally doesn't understand computers. Right. They're, they're just told to understand computers. They still call it the World Wide Web, <laughs> right? And they just they don't understand how any of this stuff works. They're right. not in a place where like any of that stuff feels native to them. And so, so it makes sense for Congress to delegate the responsibility to, like they make the rules they yeah. make more like broad rules like here are the things that we think you the, 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 here's the things that that can you know the regulations or the, or the, the, the broad strokes of here's like, your mandate as an agency here's yeah. what you can and can't regulate exactly right? and then the agencies who know who are filled with people who know more about the subjects like people who know how the banking system works people who know how the stock exchange works like on the SEC, like they they can actually make the specific rules to carry out Congress's wishes to keep the yeah. system safe. So Congress like delegates the authority. So Congress passes a law that says we're creating this new agency and in this law, we have created this mandate for the agency. Here's the scope of what they can regulate. We are delegating that limited authority to them right. to exercise on our behalf, right? And so there has been this thing that has sort of popped up since the late 70s. It's called the non-delegation doctrine. And it's this conservative idea that Congress is not actually allowed to delegate its authority. Guess what? It's the same story we've been talking about all podcast long. It's the powerful trying to strip away regulations so they can do whatever the hell they want yeah. to do and take advantage of and exploit the system to benefit their own power and wealth. It's the same story. Yes, it totally is. And so this non non-delegation theory uh, was pretty much ignored until the 80s uh, when under Reagan, conservative lawyers just started looking much harder for ways to uh, minimize, rein in, cripple the, the federal government because that's been the, the, the Republican project since Reagan yep. was to, is to cripple the administrative state, right? Uh, but in 2001, the Supreme Court unanimously rejected this, this idea, this uh, non-delegation doctrine, uh, in a decision written by Justice Scalia, right? Who was like the original Federalist Society, like super conservative justice. And he, in his decision, he wrote that the court has to trust Congress to take care of its own power. Right. You got to trust, like if Congress says we're delegating our authority, you got to trust them, is right. what Justice Scalia, super freaking conservative, said. But, uh, and I, I'm paraphrasing here, by the way, from another uh, Heather Cox Richardson thing. So after Justice Clarence Thomas suggested that he might actually be open to the non-delegation argument, conservative scholars began to say that the framers of the Constitution did not want Congress to delegate authority, right? Mm -hmm. um, which a couple of... Uh, a, Couple, couple of scholars that she quotes here, like they make the very good point that like this argument can't stand. It's just making stuff up and calling it constitutional law. Same story. But regardless, Republican appointees on the Supreme Court have come to embrace the doctrine. And just one by one, they've been peeling off and adding people to that side of things who support that. Brett Kavanaugh sided with Neil Gorsuch to say in 2019 mm -hmm. that the court should re-examine whether or not Congress can delegate authority. Uh, and along with Justice Roberts and Justice Thomas, they seem to believe that the Constitution forbids such delegation. And if Justice Amy Coney Barrett sides with them, then basically, and here's sort of the point of all of this, uh, the resurrection of that doctrine, of that non-delegation doctrine, quote-unquote, will curtail the modern administrative state that since the 1930s, since the New Deal era, has regulated business, provided a basic social safety net, and promoted infrastructure. Like, 
as Justice Elena Kagan pointed out, the non-delegation doctrine would mean that most of government is unconstitutional. Right. So all the stuff that we have come to rely on, I mean, since <laughs> well before any of our lifetimes, well before our grandparents' lifetimes, mm -hmm. right? Like for the last... 90 plus years there have been these things in place like all these federal regulatory agencies that help keep things on the rails they help make it so like companies can't just pollute our land right. and take federal lands and just randomly do oil drilling in them like the protect protecting workers rights protecting yeah. healthcare everything yeah. education like yeah. it's it spans every single thing that touches every single one of our lives yeah. every single day in a good way yes and the, and the upshot of all this is that there's this movement now afoot and the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals gave it a green light last week with this decision to to begin just dismantling all of those things. Like, And this is going to be appealed. Of to, course it but is. But of course it's going to be appealed to a Supreme Court that will probably uphold it and then will become the law of the land. Right. It, it, it appears to me that what, the, what, what Republicans want, uh, what this quote-unquote conservative movement wants is for there to be absolute freedom. If you've got power and wealth, you yeah. can do whatever you want. Yeah. And for everybody else, they're going to criminalize things they don't like and just throw people in jail. Like, if you want to exercise your reproductive rights, yeah. you might just be thrown in jail. Like a woman in, was in Texas a couple weeks ago for yeah. seeking an abortion. Yeah. Like, I, it's just, yeah. It's, yeah. I, it's, all, it's, all, it's all the same stuff. I mean, I'm glad you brought up this story, but also I'm just like over it and I want to move on because I, I, feel, I feel like... Burning said, everything down. We've said it. We've yeah. said it all. It's all the same story. We're in dire straits. What side are you on? What are you going to do? Yeah. All right. Let's uh, put that behind us and move into the Inspiration Station. Inspiration Station. <sighs> what you got, sugar? Okay, I'm glad that we have pulled into the inspiration station, first Great. of all. And I have two items that I want to share. Good. Um, one is, is I'm, I'm going to start with because it feels relevant to the conversations that we've just had <laughs> in mm -hmm. the last mm -hmm. number of minutes. Um, and that is, you and I went for a lovely hike yesterday. Yeah. Um, we, we, end, we accidentally, not accidentally, we ended up doing a bunch of work over our quote-unquote weekend, and so we took some Just extra, the way the timing worked out. Yeah, yeah. so we did some, uh, some, took some extra time off yesterday, and we went on this lovely hike, which we love to do um, uh, in the Olympic National Forest, uh, in the Olympic National Park, uh, actually. Um, and it's a, it was just a great time. It's, a, it's this little hike that, that for the first half of it, you sort of like are bordering um, some rapids uh, alongside a river, and then you cross over a bridge, and then you're kind of in a different terrain, you know, mm -hmm. um, a more uh, more serene terrain because there's not a rushing river right next to you. And um, it's just a, it's a lovely hike. Um, and I, um, like I said, in the middle of that hike, there's this bridge, right? Mm -hmm. And I, you and I stopped on the bridge for a while, and um, I always feel like when we do this hike in particular, and a lot of hikes in the forest will do this for me, um, I feel like I, I inevitably experience or, or feel or hear something in my spirit that I need, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so that's why going and doing those things on purpose is a really good thing to do, especially in times that feel so fraught as they are right yeah. now. And... Um, 
I was leaning on the bridge directly over this river and seeing it just it has this, it just wends, you know, it goes left and then right around these big boulders. It's been there forever, right? Like and and trees surrounding this river have been standing there for hundreds of years. Mm-hmm. You know, um have lived their lives through periods of history that have been maybe even more turbulent than the one we're in right now. You yeah. know what I mean? Like sure. um there's something sort of profound and thinking about about that. And I and I was standing there and I and I kind of said like a little prayer to myself, like, you know, to the forest. <laughs> really not to myself, mm-hmm. but to the forest. Like what what do you have for me today? You know, like I want I wanted just to receive whatever it was that the forest wanted to tell me. Mm-hmm. And it was actually the river that had a message for me yesterday as I was standing there. And um and it, and it, I'm going to try my best to articulate it. The the world is really scary right now. Mm-hmm. Our country is is really um, in a very precarious place. Mm-hmm. Um, so many of the things that I that we have taken for granted in terms of how we live our lives in terms of our freedoms, in terms of, you Basic know. Basic civil protections. Yeah, uh, are, are on the line. And, and, I, and I was thinking there that there's a, there's a very real possibility that justice won't win in the near term. True. Or in my lifetime. Yeah. Um, but what the river told me Yesterday, <laughs> this sounds so woo-woo, but it, it does. Yeah, it, it is what it is. Is that the river's been there and has carved that path through times just as bad as this mm-hmm. throughout history? That in fact, I, Shannon, come from and am part of the system that has existed forever. I am I'm physically separated from the river, mm-hmm. but really we come from the same stuff. Carbon, you know, whatnot. Carbon, stardust, whatever you want to call it. You know, like we are all part of the same. And if the river can withstand what it has withstood, so can I, mm-hmm. you know? that there might be really tough times to come. Mm -hmm. Like, and I'm feeling a little emotional, so here I go, but Mm -hmm. it's what it is. Things might not go the way I, the way I would like them to go. Things might not go toward the direction of justice Mm -hmm. in the time that I'm living, right? I'm not, I'm not giving up. This is not like a hopeless thing, Mm -hmm. right? But it's possible that, that that's not how it will go. And yet there's something bigger than all of that. There's something bigger than the injustice that exists in this place, in this time. And it will persist well after these moments in history have been forgotten. And I'm part of that, mm-hmm. that will persist. And so I just, I felt like the message that I got was, now more than ever, it's going to be important for me to make conscious connection with that thing 
that will persist, mm. with which I am connected. And it's going to be more important than ever for me to, to make that spiritual connection with the stuff that is real and it is eternal within me and around me. Mm. And we can all do that. Like we can all do that as a means of making meaning of our existence in a time that feels so wrong, mm. you know? So mm -hmm. thank you, River. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I'm not exactly sure, you know, what that all means, but uh, that's, what, that's what spoke to me yesterday on our hike. And I wanted to share it today. I love it. So that's number one. Mm -hmm. What's number two? Number two um, is a, a, a quote that I saw on Twitter last week. Um, it's by a person named Annie Dillard. And the person who, quote, who tweeted this says, I think about this Annie Dillard quote all the time. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's a, it's a quote that it is... Uh, directed at people who are writing, like writing novels or whatever, you know. Uh -huh. But the person who says here, but and I think it applies way beyond writing, and it does. This is what this is why it was like really meaningful to me. And it, the quote is this: One of the few things I know about writing is this: spend it all, shoot it, play it, lose it all right away every time. Mm. Do not hoard what seems good for a later place in the book or for another book. Give it. Give it all, give it now. The impulse to save something good for a better place later is the signal to spend it now. <laughs> something more will arise for later, something better. These things fill from behind, from beneath, like well water. Similarly, the impulse to keep to yourself what you have learned is not only shameful, it is destructive. <laughs> Anything you do not give freely and abundantly becomes lost to you. Op you open your safe and find ashes. And I just, you know, it's about, it's about writing, right? Mm -hmm. It's about using, you know, uh, the ideas right away. Don't save them up. Seems like it's about more than that. But though. it's about life. I yeah. just, if you think about this, this, this section, you know, uh, if I re reword it, uh, the, uh, do not hoard what seems good for a later place in your life mm -hmm. or for another time in your life. Mm -hmm. Give it, give it all, give it now. Like, don't save it up, just do it. Mm. I, I just found that to be really inspiring. I think so. Yeah. Right on. Well, that was inspirational. Thanks for sharing it, Sugar. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Well, I wonder whether we should finish with a gratitude crank up. Probably a good idea. Do you want to go first? Sure. I'm feeling grateful today for uh, just a sense of renewed energy for creative work this week. Uh, some, it's not always there, the energy. True. To, to, feel, to be creative. And I feel I, it too. And I have it and I'm grateful for that. Stoked. Yeah. yeah. How about you? I'm grateful for the time we spent outdoors yesterday in the trees. Yeah. Uh, it was very emotional for me. Yeah. And uh, it also left me feeling renewed and focused and determined. That's awesome. I think so. That's great. People, thank you for spending this time with us. Uh, what a messed up week already. It's only <laughs> Tuesday, Wednesday, I guess, by the time you hear this. Um, you know, it's just rough times right now. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's funny. I had made kind of a mental note like like eight, nine months ago. Like I was like, we probably have like eight or nine months until things start getting bad. And then they're gonna get really bad and they're gonna feel bad for at least a year and a half. And then they may get in that period of time may end in a coup, you know what I mean? And get much, much worse. And like 
this is the time that I sort of mm-hmm. forecast. Like I, I, I looked into the future nine months ago. I was like, I really need to enjoy these next nine months because things are probably going to start feeling really difficult. I feel like I did that, mm-hmm. you know, I, and I feel like in the last nine months, we, you and I have done a pretty good job at putting in place some stuff that's going to make life feel more sustainable for us through the long term. Self-care routines, mm-hmm. that kind of thing, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. We've become really ever more intentional about our communication. Mm-hmm. Um, we've gotten really, really good at just like taking two days in a row off each week. People call it a weekend, <laughs> I've heard. It's interesting. We're still doing research, but our early findings are very encouraging. <laughs> it makes the next week seem more doable. Yeah. You know, and it makes uh, it easier to process all this really difficult stuff because I have more reserves and I have more resilience. Yeah, for sure. Um and we'll continue to do those things, even though you're right, things seem to be ramping up to uh, to a more difficult phase, yeah. like you prophesied eight or nine months ago. <laughs> uh, you know, it, it, it is it is hard times, and but we we need to continue with those practices. Mm-hmm. And yeah, um, we're going to say something about that to wrap up our podcast. Today. Yeah, it like, was. I can't remember now what okay, that was. Well, but anyway. Uh, Thanks for being here with us, people. Uh, time. I think what I was sort of getting at is that that today we had to talk about a bunch of difficult stuff, and it just seems like there's a lot more difficult stuff to talk about. Thank you for being here with us. Thanks for mm. bearing with us. Mm. Thanks for letting us process uh, how we're feeling. Hopefully, it was helpful to you in some way. If it was, please let us know. Uh, you can email us. You can reach out to us in the Misfit Star social network. You can reach out to us on other places on the internet. Anywhere you know how to get in touch with us, we would embrace hearing from you. And We're- if this was meaningful to you, um, and if you find valuable this podcast and all the other stuff that Jamie and I do, uh, you can actually support that in a mm. tangible financial way, and we would appreciate it so much. Um, this is how we keep going, is by the support of our financial, uh, by the financial support of our Misfit Stars community, and you could become part of that uh, by going to misfitstars.com slash support. Mm. It's a small dollar monthly contribution. You choose the amount and uh, know that whatever amount you choose gets connected with all the other support that we get from all the other folks who are already doing this. Everyone else is 10 bucks. <laughs> really, that's what it that's is. That's right. And it makes a difference. It yeah. helps us continue. It, it is the thing that helps us continue doing what we do. So yeah. thank you. Thank you. Is that it? I believe so. Okay. Y'all, we'll be back next week. Uh, but until then, please take care of yourselves and be good to each other. Please do. We love y'all. See you later. See ya. See ya.